Good evening, everybody. I do just have to make an announcement before we get into the sermon. Um, same one as last week, just on behalf of the eldership, uh, just for our members to just make you aware that in terms of our constitution, our eldership is made up of staff members as well as non-staff members who are congregational members. And as per our constitution, at the end of every three-year cycle, uh, we can, uh, some of the elders who are available can be available for renomination. And we're at such a, cycle, at a stage in the cycle at the moment. Uh, so currently the non-staff elders that are available for renomination are Javi Ordan, Gerard Vormerans, Jack Ferreira, Ruth Compion, and Smok Makubela. And so if you feel or know any of them and you want to renominate them, as in our foyer out that way on the desk there, there are nomination forms. But also if you as a member want to nominate another member who meets all the criteria, which are also listed on the form for you. It looks a little bit like that. Uh, and you feel someone has a calling or an anointing for church governance at this time to nominate them. And then there's a process where all nominations are prayerfully and carefully uh, considered. Just very important, the deadline for submissions for this round of nominations is Thursday this week, the 13th, 14th of February at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You can just drop off the nomination there. Uh, please note that you need to be a member to be able to nominate someone to be on our eldership. Thank you. Can we say a word of prayer and then we turn our attention to the, to the word of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the, the, the theme and the topics we're talking about because they're your idea. It's something that you spoke to us. And so Lord, as I share tonight and as we listen and even as we all engage with your word, would you take it and apply it to our lives in just that way that is needed and correct for us at this time? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember when I was um, probably nine or ten years old, um, I, had a, I have an older cousin. He's two years older than me, so he was a f still two years older than me when I was nine or ten. Some things just don't change. And uh, they stayed in a small town, and across the road from where they stayed there was a, a, a rundown factory. It was a shuttered factory, just closed. You know, the gates were unclosed and half the windows were broken. And in our minds, it was an abandoned factory. We never ever saw anybody go there. We used to visit them every now and then. And often we would go play in this factory, you know, look at the old machinery and wondered what it did with all the wonder that young boys do. Girls, you know, it's like playing with dolls, but nicer. Okay. And... One day we, you know, we were climbing up and we got onto the roof and uh, the roof had like a step, it was a stepped roof and so there were, there were windows in the roof of which half were broken and, and torn down and you know, falling out anyway. And so we felt inspired to just help with that process. And so we were taking rocks and we were throwing them into the windows to see if we could you know, fully shatter the ones that weren't yet broken because that's what guys do, okay? <laughs> especially young men of, of my generation. And so while we're happily doing this and, you know, clang, and there's glass all over the place and we're having fun, suddenly we hear from the other side, there was like a courtyard next to the roof that we were on, a door opening. Now, this was strange because, you know, probably we thought this is like a ghost or something because we'd never seen anybody there. But out walked who we later found out to be the owner of this property. And he wasn't all that thrilled. <laughs> so with... The full bravado that, that a nine or a ten-year-old boy has, and my cousin who was a little older, we did what all brave young men do. We ran. <laughs> you see? 
And we ran out and, you know, we had to crawl through the gate where, the, you know, you had to like pull it open and crawl through. And we get out and we ran across the street into their house. But, you know, as you get to the house, you don't want to run in because that gives you away. So you kind of get to the door and you're like, you know, <laughs> slow down, walk, walk past your parents who are visiting in the lounge. And we go to the room and we listen now. Is this guy going to follow us? Did he see us where we ran? Were we quick enough? And he did. So we hear him knocking on the door. So my cousin and I did what all brave nine and 11-year-old boys do. We went and hid in the cupboard. Um, and he was quite upset, but my uncle sorted it out for us. Uh, but what had to happen is that my cousin and I had to walk across the road and apologize. He didn't want money or anything. He just didn't want us to break his stuff. So we, so we had to apologize. Sometimes who we associate with, who we identify with, leads us in a direction. So my cousin and I together, our affiliation got us on this occasion, amongst others, into some trouble. I remember when I was at school being part of teams and sports teams, the the people we identify with and associate with, they often end up making us better than we are. You know, if you're playing in a great team and, you know, you're good, but everyone else is just as good or a little bit better and you play well together and you win, you're just better than you are on your own. Who we identify with, who we affiliate with, is very important. I'm still of the generation that had to do um, some military service, national service. And one of the things there that happens as you suffer together, and I was only in training units, fortunately, but you develop this band of brothers that happens. and you, It's not actually so much about the fight. It's about who you're fighting with that it happens. And as we look to the Gospels, we see that Jesus also had a band of brothers. They were his disciples or the 12. So I wonder in your life who you've identified with strongly. What have your affiliations gotten you into? I can tell you about some of Darwin's stories, but I won't because some things are left between brothers. Okay. But what, what what have your affiliations done, the friends you've identified with, the, perhaps the teams or the leaders that you've followed, what trajectory have they taken you on? Where have they taken you in your life? You see, we all want to belong to something. We want to identify with something that can make us bigger and better and than what we probably think we can be on our own. And this is part of how God made us. He's made us to belong and to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And we belong in this way also to the family of God. And over time, this family, this identification with Jesus needs to become our primary source of identification. And so while you're in this room and here at Hatfield at this time, in the providence of God, he worked it that you were here. And one of the things that God spoke to us, confirmed through many places since last year already, is this word and this theme about be ready. And so you would have, if you've been here a few Sundays, you would have noticed that we're talking about the things that God is saying to be ready. And we're basing this in John 15, 16, and 17, because it's a significant passage of Scripture where Jesus is helping his disciples be ready for something that was going to dramatically change in their lives. And so we've spoken about be ready for fruitfulness, that God wants us to be fruitful. When our lives bear fruit, God is glorified. We've spoken about remaining in God. I don't know what phrase was used here. I think it was last week in the evening, but uh, Sunday morning last week, Pastor Louis said, your rootedness determines your fruitfulness. 
When you're planted in a place and you stay, then God can grow you, your life, and your space. But tonight we're talking about, and we're talking about being ready for opposition. How many of you know that as you live your life, you will encounter opposition? Sometimes that opposition feels like persecution. Sometimes it just feels like a little bit things are going slower than you want. So there are different kinds of opposition. The opposition we want to talk about tonight is not the opposition you get into because of your sin and stupidity, because you climbed on a roof and you broke windows and the guy comes and knocks on your uncle's door. That's not opposition. That's just getting what you deserve. <laughs> okay. Arriving late for work and your boss shouting at you, that's not opposition for being a Christian. Okay. That's just being, you're late. Okay. We want to focus a little bit about on being ready for opposition because you associate with Jesus, because you affiliate your life, you identify with Jesus. And so if you have devices or Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 15. We're going to read from verse 18 all the way through into chapter 6 tonight. But I want us to read it with the following lens, with the following set of glasses on. If you can read it about how it's about actually being part of Jesus' gang, part of being of the tribe of Jesus, part of associating and identifying with Jesus. And so Jesus, on the night, just a couple of hours before he's going to get arrested, he starts telling his disciples a lot of things. And one of the things he says to them is John 15, verse 18, as we have it, it records. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would have It would have loved you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. This is strong language, even in a middle-of-the-range kind of translation like the NIV that we're reading from. If the world hates you. I don't know if you've ever really been hated by anybody. Has anybody had that wonderful experience of being hated? I've, I've never known it. People only love me. Okay. But, you know, so you can tell me about it afterwards. But... But hey, don't you think it's like strong language that Jesus uses here? The world hates you. Not like the world tolerates you. The world will hate you. But why does the world hate you? Because you're affiliated, because you identify with Jesus. But note first that it's always Jesus first, then us. The world hated him first. And then when we identify with him, the world will hate us too. And so the opposition is because we identified with Christ. The language here is because Jesus has chosen you. And you chose to respond to that invitation from Jesus. There's two concepts here in the original language. And Pastor Louis spoke on this this morning uh, in much more depth and breadth than I'm going to. So please catch that on YouTube or or one of the other platforms if you want to hear more about it. But the the word used for world here is the Greek word cosmos with a K. Okay, not the flower with the sea. Cosmos with a K. And it means literally this world system or moral system that stands up in rebellion against God. It actively opposes God. That's what the cosmos is. Some of you know that. When you go to your places of study or your places of work, the system there and the people who belong to that system, they are not your friends. It works against you. Certain places I've been in my life, it's like swimming upstream every day, all day, and at night when you sleep. It's like walking into the wind with a parachute on your back. 
that's kind of the pressure that the world or the cosmos puts on you. But this verse also refers to this concept that Jesus calls us out of, the cosmos. Now that in other places is translated as the Greek word for church, which is ekklesia, the called out ones. This is an interesting concept of church. The church or the people are called out of the cosmos. They're called out of the spaces and places that are in opposition to God. They're called out of the places and spaces that are against God, that are in rebellion to God. And that, if you've come to faith in Christ, you're part of the called out ones, the ecclesia. Now, Jesus is quite clear, and later on, if you read the other writers of the New Testament, they, they tend to be quite rigid on their definition in this space. You're either in the called out group, the ecclesia, or you're in the cosmos. You're not in between. There's no space in between. Either you're part of the world and its system and its rebellion and resistance against God, or you're part of the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones who are following Jesus with all their hearts, who are um, wearing themselves out in their pursuit of God, in wanting to be more and more and more and more identified with Jesus, more associated with him as they engage with the world. The reality is the church and the cosmos are in opposition to one another. They're, a good word is incompatible. You cannot have them the same. When the church looks a lot like the world and the values in a church look the same as the values in the culture and the community around it, I believe I can say that the church has misunderstood its called out aspect. Thank you, Richie. I'll preach. Okay. So if I know your name, sorry. Okay. There needs to be the community of God, the people of God, need to be distinct from the people of the world, if I can use other language. We're supposed to be different. How's that sound? Now, I remember walking into spaces and places uh, when I was doing military service, and, and the position I chose there was not to touch alcohol at all because it was a very dangerous environment. I was with people who were very good at touching alcohol, and they didn't only touch it, they drank it. And, and oftentimes when they went out together, the objective was to drink the bar dry. Anybody ever managed that? Okay, guys I was with did it a couple of times, and they weren't skimpily stocked bars. But when you're in that place, you feel this pressure. Well, why aren't you, and why don't you, and what about just having one? But you have to maintain your distinctive, not from a place of legalism, but from a place of love in that sense. So the church and the world are incompatible. Jesus goes on with his disciples in verse 20, and he says this, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than, they, than, than their master. In other words, if they hate me and they're in opposition to me, and he doesn't quite tell them this, but wait till you see what they're going to do in the next few hours, don't think it's going to be any different for you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, if their hearts are turned towards me and they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. Because of your association with Jesus, they will come against you. There will be opposition. For, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now we know from Scripture that it's the Father 
who sent the Son. When people don't know God, they will be in opposition to his followers. That is the condition of their heart. If they do not know the Father, they will be in opposition to Jesus and to his followers. It's interesting as we read and study church history that the early disciples, the immediate 12 and the 50 and the 500 who followed Jesus and the next generation of followers, when they were getting persecuted, at a stage it almost, if you read them, it's like they got a little bit too keen for it. They got a little bit like excited about it. Because they had this concept that they knew when they got persecuted for the name of Christ, that it marked that they'd come out of the world. It marked that they weren't just kind of following Jesus, is that the people around them actively saw they are different. And that so challenged those people that they had to do something about it and often ended up persecuting them and killing them. So the persecution for them was a mark of honor. Okay, the opposition became a mark of honor. Sometimes we become Christians because we think it's going to solve all our problems. And it will, ultimately. Some of you, I know, it's only going to get solved in heaven. Um, But it is, you get to your problems, and Jesus comes into your life, and he helps you, and he journeys you, and he moves you on. But also, how many of you know, when you start following Jesus, it gives you some new ones, some new problems. There's some new things you've got to deal with, because now you don't do what you used to do, and everyone wants to know why, and there's pressure. And you're at work, and someone's offering a bribe. Apparently, they come in cash bags these days. Okay. What? It's true. It's on TV. Okay. Um, someone offers you a bribe. It's untraceable. No one knows. And you've got to go, no, I don't do that. Then the opposition comes because you're standing. Because you're not of this world, you're a called out one. There's a distinctive to being associated and following Jesus. There's a real danger, and we'll get it just now, if we come to Christianity and we think it's just going to fix everything, and that's the only reason we come, and it's primarily a self-help thing, what happens when we encounter opposition? Many people go, well, this Christian thing doesn't work, and it's a danger that Jesus will speak to shortly. Let's keep reading John 15, 22. Jesus speaks, and I want you to note how polarizing Jesus is in his stance towards the cosmos, towards the world. Jesus says, if I had not come and spoken to them, the the cosmos, they would not be guilty of sin, because he came and he showed them what was right. There's no excuse, well, let me read the text. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Why? Because Jesus has come and showed them not only how to live right, but how to get out of sin by dying on the cross. So people really have no excuse. Excuse. That doesn't mean we're arrogant. It doesn't mean we're unkind. But because Jesus has come, there is no excuse for sin. Wow, I think I'm going to say that again into this postmodern malaise. Sorry, that's the younger people in the room. Okay. Because Jesus has come, there really is no excuse for sin. Because your sin is dealt with on the cross, the price is paid, and you get the power to overcome that sin. It's a good deal. Okay, I'll keep reading. Whoever hates me hates the Father as well. That's strong language. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, Jesus did stuff that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. So for the people of Jesus' day and time, in a couple of hours, they're going to kill him. They're going to torture him, beat him up, and kill him. 
But he's done miracles amongst them. He's lived a good, perfect life. And yet they're going to kill him. How's that possible? That the man who's lived a perfect life, who's done wrong, he's helped the sick, he's healed those who are in sickness and in disease, he's fed the poor, he's done all these things, he's spoken truth, he's loved deeply, but they kill him. It's because they love the cosmos. They love the world. Let me finish reading, I'll say a bit more. As it is, they have seen me, and yet they hated both me and my father. But to fulfill what is written in the law, they have hated me without reason. They did have no reason to hate Jesus. You see, when we encounter the life of Jesus, you have some options. Some people saw Jesus hanging on the cross when he was crucified publicly in Jerusalem. They took note and then they went on with their lives because they wanted to keep on doing what they wanted to keep on doing. Others looked at that and went, what love? What, how do I respond to, to a God that loves me this much? The only thing I can possibly do is give my life to him and serve him and love him back. It's interesting, this polarizing effect that Jesus has. In some of the parables Jesus tells, and I don't have time to get into him, it's almost like the worst thing you can do towards Jesus is be indifferent. That you come to him and you go, hmm, okay. And then you just carry on. Because you see, there's real consequences to the choices that we make. Either you're in the ecclesia or you're in the cosmos. Ecclesia, the ecclesia ends up living with Jesus forever. The cosmos does not. Okay. Jesus stands at this pivot point in history. And it's recorded for us and we look and we encounter him through the scriptures and through reading. And how do we respond to Jesus? Whether you're on your journey of faith towards Jesus and you haven't committed your life to him, whether you've been serving Jesus for 30 years plus, how do you respond to Jesus? This is not just something for unbelievers. This is for believers. How do you respond to Jesus? Perhaps you've given your life to him and you've experienced your sins forgiven. But you're busy with your life. You know, you, kids to school, kids to sport, paying the bills, the mortgage, trying to finish your studies, find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, all these significant things. But how do you respond then when you're in the midst of the life and it's going and Jesus confronts you? And he says, will you follow? Will you, in this space, in your varsity campus, in your workspace, will you identify with me? Will you live here like I want you to live here, not like everyone else is living? What do you do when you encounter Jesus? The text goes on, and it's very interesting. Suddenly, it's almost like a change. Jesus suddenly starts talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the advocate comes, the one who will make our case for us, I guess is the intent here. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. So I'm going away. Opposition is going to increase. You need to be ready. But another of the same kind, the advocate is going to come, the spirit of truth who comes from the Father. He will testify about me. He will tell the world about me through the church, through my brothers and sisters. And you must also testify about me, for you have been with me from the beginning. Obviously, he's speaking to his 
disciples there. And so the Holy Spirit comes in this place where the world is now without excuse, this polarizing presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to continue this ministry of Christ in us and through, the, through, through us as the church. So the challenge is that even when Jesus left, the persecution or the opposition would continue. And what happens is as we walk with the Holy Spirit who lives in us and as he guides us to truth, we become more like Jesus. We affiliate more with him. We associate more with him. We become deeper into his community, into his gang. And the more we become like him, guess what's going to start happening? The more distinct we become from the cosmos. And the more distinct we become, the more the opposition will increase. That is part of what it means to follow Christ. But the Holy Spirit will be right there with us in the midst of it all. John chapter 16, Jesus concludes this focus and he says, I've told you all this. I've told you that persecution will come, that if you're going to affiliate with me, if you're going to associate with me, you will stand in opposition to the cosmos. I've told you this so that you will not fall away. Because isn't that just the temptation when opposition comes? Where is God? What am I going to do? And we fall back. And it becomes too difficult to walk upstream, too difficult to swim upstream, to walk against the wind. And so we just conform. And we just become like everybody else around us. So Jesus is more worried that we fall away than almost anything else. He says they, the people of the cosmos, will put you out of the synagogues. Now that for the disciples was the center of life. It was their space of social cohesion in the Jewish communities. So it might mean that as you come to Christ, you might experience some social alienation. They will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're doing an offering a service to God. This is the story of Saul before he became Paul. He was going around killing Christians as a Jewish advocate because he thought he was doing exactly what God wanted and he thought it was service to God. They will do such things because they do not know the Father or me. I've told you that opposition is coming so that when the time comes, you'll remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this from the beginning because they didn't need to know then because I was with you. And so Jesus forewarns his disciples just as he forewarns us that as we pursue fruitfulness, as we remain in him, as the Holy Spirit grows and lives in us and we identify more and more with Jesus, we're more and more of the Jesus family, we become increasingly distinct from the world. And so opposition will come. And so as I conclude tonight, will you affiliate with Jesus? Will you identify with him? Will you lose your life to him? Because he loves you more than you can ever imagine. And the life you live will be better than you could ever imagine. But there will be opposition. And that's okay. It's part of being with Jesus. Some of you are experiencing opposition and you think there's something wrong with your faith. You're experiencing opposition because there's something right with your faith. Okay. Not talking again about opposition that's caused by sin and stupidity. Talking about opposition for standing with Christ. And so do not fall away. When, when opposition comes, what do we do? We don't fall away. We dig deeper. We say, Jesus, this thing's coming at me. I see it. 
It's coming at me. What do I do? I need you more. Help me to love you more. Give me more love. Give me more of your spirit so that I can stand. I know a man who stood for something. I know, well, I've heard lots of stories, but I know one personally where he stood for something in the workplace that they were, they were, it was corrupt. They were doing the wrong thing. They were reporting incorrectly. And he stood and he said, we cannot do this. And they worked him out and they fired him. He lost his job, but he stood. So he started a Bible ministry and stuff. That's what you do. Okay. <laughs> so the challenge for us tonight is to identify with Jesus so much that you look different from the cosmos. That when you go home to your family, they go, what's changed? Because you've been with Jesus. And this is a very strong word in a, in a world where your truth is your own and you define yourself and who you are. This truth that you have to either be in the called out family that affiliates with Jesus, the ecclesia, or you're just part of the cosmos. And those have very long lasting and permanent decisions. And so the challenge tonight is, will you follow Jesus wherever he may go? It's a great song for that, eh? Yeah. But some of you are facing opposition, not because you've done anything wrong, but because you're standing and you're kind and people are trying to use that against you. You're kind in Jesus' name. And so I'd like to also in this place tonight offer prayer that if you're facing opposition because you're affiliated with Christ, because you're identifying with Jesus, we want to do what the band of brothers called the church does. We want to come and stand together and we want to pray that you would stand. We want to pray that the Holy Spirit will make a way through for you, not out, but through. So can I ask, if you're facing opposition, why don't you take the, the boldness, the courage, and have the freedom Maybe just to stand where you are. And then as a community, we want to pray. Because you see, when we pray, God hears every single word we pray. And when God hears, he can act. And he can act on your behalf and make a way through for you. Is that okay? So is there anyone who would like some prayer? Because you're, just, you're facing some opposition. This is part of life. It's not a nice part of life. Can I say that? There's nothing wrong with you because you're facing opposition. Is that okay? It's because you're standing for Christ. If you're seated close to someone and you're comfortable, won't you stretch out a hand? And won't you just be praying for them? However, you know, the Lord leads you. But I want to just pray, pray for us uh, as a community in a corporate way. Father, you know every situation. Yeah, you know the uniqueness and you know the person who's standing and facing the opposition. Thank you, Lord, that they're your son and they're your daughter. And you've made them and they can stand. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, just as they prayed in the book of Acts when they were experiencing opposition to preaching the word, it says they prayed and boldness, they prayed for boldness to stand and boldness to witness. So, Lord, I ask that you give people the courage and the boldness to stand. I pray, Lord, you comfort them. Let them know that they're loved. Even now, Lord, and even as we worshipped earlier, would you continue that anointing of love for them? But then, Lord, we also want to pray as a community of faith, as believers in Jesus, and we want to address the things that are opposing them, this, the cosmos, the spirit 
of this world. And in Jesus' name, we want to say, back down. We are of the kingdom of God. We are saints and citizens of heaven. Back down in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, I pray you make a way through for each one that is standing. Lord, if there are schemes and plots of the enemy, and if there's evil being brought against those standing, and even family members, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you expose that evil. Bring it to the light so that it can be uh, defeated, so that it can be destroyed. This is our prayer, Lord. Then I pray for each of us, Lord, that as we go into this week, your face would shine upon us, that give us the strength to be more enamored with you and love you more than we love the things of this world and the things around us. Thank you that even as you pray in John 17, we are in this world and you want us to be in this world as light shining in sometimes dark places. So help us to be the people that are like you, affiliated with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine we can be a church community that is so in love with Jesus and is so like him wherever we go that people just have to stop and notice. And they have to go, well, that's something of Jesus, and what am I going to do with that? Because they've seen us. God bless you. Connect in the function hall afterwards. Prayer in the front here if you would like prayer. There's people who want to pray for you. Please have a good week. Drive safe and be blessed as you go. Amen.